Hi, and welcome back to the Apology Podcast. I'm Jesse Pearson, the founder and editor of Apology Magazine. Today, I'll be talking with the rapper and entrepreneur Despot, a.k.a. Alec Reinstein. He's a Queens, New York native who grew up with some very interesting parents. His father is a school teacher and a big reader, and he also ran with sort of like early New York punk rockers and weirdo artists. And his mother is a streetwise Polish immigrant who, as you'll hear, very much enjoys smoking weed. And she's probably the coolest mom I've ever seen. Um, Despot started rapping in his early teens, I believe, and quickly became a name that you heard, you'd hear tossed around when the conversation turned toward newer or more underground rappers um, that you that you needed to hear. He's had a longtime partnership with LP of Company Flow and Run the Jewels. Um, and in the early 2000s, Despot was actually signed to L's label. That's the now gone and, and much missed label Def Jooks. Despot's rap style is pretty interesting because it sounds like he's yelling, but in a mellow way, like mellow yelling. And it's kind of authoritative, um, but chill. I imagine it takes a lot of control to rap like him, but he makes it sound like it's not even a thing. His lyrics are very smart. They're full of puns and references to other rappers and street life, um, lots of the traditional kind of rapper boasts, but sometimes a little dash of self-deprecation, which, um, which makes for a very endearing mix. And he's got that deepest corners of Queens kind of accent, which makes anyone who raps in it sound about 50% better from the jump. Despot is also the subject of what's basically become a meme in rap communities around when he'll finally release his full album. He's been saying that it's coming soon since like 1776, and now it's maybe too funny of a phenomenon to ever release it. I don't know. But if you want to get a feel for Despot's style, um, his family, his general outlook, Check out the music video for his song, House of Bricks. That's, that's a perfect summation, I think. Uh, there are a lot of things referenced quickly in this talk, so please feel free to go to ApologyMagazine.com for show notes. And now, I offer you the Despot episode of the Apology Podcast. So, um, what are you reading right now? I'm reading a Philip K. Dick biography called I Am Alive and You Are Dead. Good title. I really like the title. Yeah. I read one a long time ago, but it was called um, Divine Invasions. So they just took the title of one of his books and pluralized it? The dude who wrote it was like, um, I forget his last name, it was like S-U-T-I-N, like Sutton or something. But I guess they were friends, you know, so it was a little, I remember it being a little bit like too inside and too biased. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of what I like about, I mean, I don't really read that much nonfiction, and uh i like that this is like this really very much feels like someone's fictionalized idea of what his life was probably like granted like they interviewed a lot of people who knew him and stuff like that but i don't mm. know it seems seems like he made a lot of it up which i like <laughs> <laughs> i do too also dick had a kind of life that can sound stranger than sound more like fiction you know than real life sometimes Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he talked to God all the time and stuff. Most people don't do that. Yeah. Um, what, so what, what draws you to Dick? What do you, why do you want to learn more about him? <laughs> I have like a pretty long history with, man, this is, it doesn't sound good, with Dick. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I was really young, man, no matter what, now that, now that we've introduced um, referring uh-huh. to Dick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got into dick really early in life. Well, 
I, I like my first sort of adult reading experience was a Philip K. Dick book called Time Out of Joint. And um, it was given to my father by his friend Charlie, who was like, um, Charlie was like this punk guy. He had a band called Crippled Hippo when I was a little kid. He used to play shows like in those basements, like below street level in the city and stuff. And, you know, he used to perform at La Mama, like in dresses and stuff like that. So he was like that kind of guy. He used to sleep sleep on my floor when I was a kid. And, uh, yeah, he gave my dad that book. And I think I just liked the cover. And I was like, I'm going to read it. I don't remember how old I was. And then I was like, I guess, I guess maybe because I think Philip K. Dick is good at nurturing like the I don't know, like the the vanity and egoism of like a young a young kid who thinks he's really smart. Yeah, yeah. Because so, <laughs> uh, Time Out of Joint is actually this whole book about a guy who does this sort of like meaningless puzzle contest in the newspaper every day and eventually figures out that he's living in this like fake world that they built for him so that he can keep solving these puzzles because he's actually telling he's predicting where the next bombing is going to happen but he didn't know he like he you know he eventually finds out that he's saving the world and he is the center of the world and everyone is performing to to keep him alive and doing what he does um so i, I think i really like that and i was like yeah maybe i'm maybe that's what i am <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm like a genius, and I'm God, and I'm gonna just stick with that because I'm like 14 or whatever, and uh, and then I just kept reading his books because they all, they really feed that kind of like, I guess, egomania that you might have if you're a teenager who thinks he's really smart. So I don't know, like the solipsism of a teenage kid who just is like, I got it all figured out already. Yeah, and then this guy's like, you're right, and and you might actually be God, and let me <laughs> tell you about how I talk to God all the time, and he only talks to me, and then it's like, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> he Another thing about him is that he really helps to confirm, if you have like a paranoid bent already in your mind, Dick really cranks it up in terms of like government surveillance and, and uh, you know, hidden government discipline methods and stuff like that. Absolutely. And then like, you know, while I continued my, my Philip K. Dick journey, it, we go into like late 90s rap music and it's like all Illuminati, conspiracy theories, whatever. So it was all, it just went hand in hand. I was like, oh, I know about some shit that nobody else knows about and like what's really going on. <laughs> so, you know, so I really liked him. Did, did, did you see, like, a Philip K. Dick influence coming up in your rhymes then? Absolutely. I, I had um, my first, like, real single that came out on Death Jooks in, I don't know, 2002, maybe, was called Crap Artist. And, so, yeah, there's that book, Confessions of a Crap Artist. Yeah. Which was, like, one one of his few kind of, like, more everyday, realistic, regular guy books. Uh, honestly, all of his books are so similar that they've melded into one in my mind. And I'm not that good at remembering books that I read to begin with. Like, I can't, 
unless I read them four or five times, which I have only done with a handful of books. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. Like I, I, I don't think I remember details of books I read only once or twice, but they, stuff gets in there through osmosis somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So let's go back a second. Do you remember what the cover looked like that like appealed to you when you were 14? No. <laughs> I think it was... I know that there's like this thing that starts happening in the book when he's when the world he sort of starts seeing the cracks in the fake world that he lives in. So it's like there will be I think that this is what the cover was that there will be a hot dog stand. And then when he comes back to where the hot dog stand was, there's just a little note that says hot dog stand on it because like they forgot to put it back or whatever. Yeah, and I think the cover is maybe like a hot dog stand with a little note that says hot dog stand next to it and like a guy freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find that. But then, yeah, but then it gets into like, I, it just like coincided with a lot of like drug experience I was having where I was like, okay, maybe I'm starting to like fuck with shrooms and acid and dust and whatever. And I was like, yeah, maybe it, it, it was fucked up. I mean, Reading Philip K. Dick that much that early in my life definitely made me extra paranoid. And and then, you know, fed into these, like, delusions of grandeur where I was like, I saw it. Like, I, I, I saw the world crack and, like, yeah. everything, you know, became shapes and colors and um, God now. And I might still feel that way. <laughs> Oh, that's the whole acid thing, right? That moment of like, I get it. But then later on, you don't remember what it was that you got. Right, exactly. So you got to just do it over and over again. Yeah. I just started microdosing this week. Uh, on acid or shrooms? On acid. Have you tried it? Nah, I've, I, I've never, I've microdosed shrooms a bunch and I couldn't, I couldn't really see much of a difference and like, mm. I just felt pretty normal. But, uh. Maybe I should try acid. I kind of like acid better anyway. Uh, me too, except I've had some really harrowing trips. So I'm, I'm like a little bit cautious about doing it for real again. But yeah. the microdosing experience has been great, man. Like just felt like serene and productive and everything looked a little bit more interesting, you know? Yeah, I should try it out. Maybe. Yeah, I've been smoking. Um, I've been smoking DMT like pretty regularly. lately. Oh, wow. I haven't done that for a long time. What's it been like for you? It's great. It's, it's the same kind of thing. I, I got a DMT vape because that's like a thing now. Yep. And uh, you know, I I, <laughs> I just kind of sit on my couch because I've been home alone a lot, as everybody has. And uh, I I just I, I like you know everything turns into colors and stuff, and I like go somewhere for a while, and then I I think everything's really funny. And I just feel like happier about stuff, I guess. Do you like leave earth on the vape the way you do when you smoke the powder? Or is it a little bit like mild, more mild? Nah, you leave earth, but you know, it depends how hard you hit it, how much you hit it. They, they, it's weird. Like when you buy the things, they'll tell you like this, uh, this cartridge has X amount of breakthroughs in it. And you know. <laughs> now that, see that sounds like a Philip K. Dick concept, like selling a thing by the number of breakthroughs you're gonna get. Yeah, it does. I mean, we touched on your dad, and I think you know, he's he's a really important figure to you, it seems. I mean, what was so he was hanging out with punk rockers and like artists and stuff. What was he like when you were like a really little kid? Um, 
Well, I mean, he has a lot to do with, I think, why I got into music, why I got into reading, like all that, or art, whatever. Um, I mean, he was an English teacher for my whole childhood at Bayside High School, a public high school. Um, and he taught public high school for, I don't remember, like 37 years or something. Uh, and he was, he was a big jazz guy. He had a crazy, like, still has a crazy record collection and uh, was always listening to jazz and, like, scatting along to it and stuff. And I thought it was, like, really stupid and corny. And, um, I mean, I grew into, like, kind of understanding it. And, but he also, he has, like, a lot of punk records, w was at CBGB a lot, was, like... I guess taking pictures at the shows and I didn't really know about any of that stuff till I got older, but I had a lot of like fake uncles, like, and they were, they were all, you know, artists and like punk guys. And I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. My dad just like kind of introduced me to, I guess like the sort of New York city, like art world and music world. And then, Obviously, like as a kid, I I kind of just tried to do whatever he wasn't doing because I thought everything he was doing was really corny and stupid and, and old. So like I got into rap shit, which he hated in the beginning. And then I think the first few times that I made a little money and it seemed like a real thing, he, he got really into it and like would come to my shows and. Is he like an aficionado now? Does he have like favorite rappers besides you, or is it not to that level? Nah, it's not to that level. But it's I, I have a radio show I do, and like he he is a he's a pretty loyal listener, and it's it's interesting that like he'll usually text. Uh, we we used to record it live. We don't anymore. But he would text me during the shows, and like be like, "What's this? It's really interesting." And it'd be like O three Greedo or Young Thug or something. And yeah, it's kind of cool that that he responds to shit like that as a 81 year old man i wish my parents <laughs> were oh three greedo fans <laughs> <laughs> so that's great and i wonder if you know growing up out in queens did you grow up in lefrak i grew up across the street from Lefrac. Okay. um the buildings kind of all look the same so people you know i have a ring that i wear every day that is the, the building i grew up in yeah, and people always think that it's left right, but it is not quite left right. It's but it kind you know it's right there, sort of left right. <laughs> yeah, it's but not I feel, in left right city. All right, I would guess that a lot of kids who grew up there, though, whose parents were maybe a little more square, didn't get to know about the shit that was happening in in punk music or or weirdo art until they were much older, older than you were when you did. Yeah, definitely not. I mean. You know, Queens is like one of the bigger and more kind of out there out of boroughs. Like a lot of kids who grow up in Queens don't really leave much until they get older. Mm. And um, I used to walk around with a radio all the time and like giant pants and whatever. And <laughs> like what year are we talking? Uh, 96 maybe around there. Okay. Yeah. And so I'd be playing like, grave diggers and like shit like that and i would i became sort of like the for my neighborhood at least 
you know, my age group, I was like the go-to guy for like, oh, what's the new rap shit? What's the cool rap shit? And then here and there, I'd slip in like, oh, I like this band, X-Ray Specs or whatever, because my dad played it in the car. Or I'd be like, I'm listening to like Steely Dan because all this shit is like sampling them. And people be like, yeah, that shit is whack, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool that you know about that. And then it, you know, uh, I ended up having to go to a different high school um, when I was around 16. And I went to City Ads in the West Village. And that was like a big, that was when kids from my neighborhood started being like, oh, Alex, he like hangs out in the city. Like he's on some other shit. He like takes a train out there and goes to shows and shit. I don't know, like whatever. And That's funny, man. So they, do they feel like you were getting like too big for your britches for a Queens boy? Yeah, kind of. And and I feel like they thought I was abandoning them kind of. And it's funny because I, I still, I'm in touch with like a lot of the people I grew up with. And we had, I just hung out with them the other day. Like the people who were kind of like mad at me for leaving the neighborhood. And now the attitude is like, damn, it's cool that you did that. And like, you, you know, like you were, you had like, I guess the courage to go do that shit by yourself because we didn't really do shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They should have followed you out there is what they're probably thinking. Probably. Yeah. I did have one friend who, who he would, he he would go out there with me all the time. He passed away when we were 18, but. Oh man. Yeah, but, like, he was really, he was down. He was, like, pretty curious about all that shit. But I think for the most part, out-of-borough kids are like, what the fuck am I going to go all the way over there for? I could sit on this bench and get high. And, like, I don't I don't disagree with that. I really like sitting on the bench and getting high. Me too, man, wherever it happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's funny. As a, you know, as a, non, as a non-New Yorker who lived there for a long time, I was always pretty fascinated by like interborough like beefs, you know, the way that not just in the rap world, but just like the general the average dude from Queens probably hates Brooklyn to some degree or the Bronx. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really funny thing to me. And Manhattan, it was just like, you're rich. Like, right. No, I, I don't care where you're from, man. I don't care if you live in the projects in Manhattan. It's like, whatever, man, you, you're probably doing better than I am. So, yeah. So fuck yeah. you. <laughs> why did you have to switch high schools uh i was just getting i went to forest hills high school which is rock and roll high school actually that's where the ramones went and um uh i was just getting in a lot of trouble i wasn't really going to school i was like getting arrested all the time and eventually you know you, you can't you can't go to a regular school anymore <laughs> What for, like uh, shoplifting, graffiti, stuff like that? Yeah, I'm still in a graffiti gang, but I never really did graffiti. I just like um, like the fighting and whatever. But yeah, shoplifting for sure, like assault, like, you know, little things, but they pile up. Yeah, especially when you're a teenager. They're not happy to see that. Nah. Were you racking like shoplifting and then reselling stuff or just stealing stuff for yourself to wear? Mostly from myself, uh, I sold, I did get into like, you know, I got down with low lifes when I was really young and I guess in the late nineties, there was a big, like, kind of like meetup 
trade and clothes culture. And, and that's also how I, I met a lot of kids who like grew up in Soho and shit like that. And like the prep, prep school gangster type kids and whatever. <laughs> right. But they, you know, they generally would get robbed and that was fun, you know, to have like this whole, I don't know, these, this whole new crop of people you could like pick on and hate because they were from Manhattan <laughs> and they were rich. I was also like, you know, a fledgling hacker. So I would, I would do what was called carding then that I think they, they generally just call scamming now. Uh, but you know, like stealing people's cars using like fishing or whatever. And then I'd buy like mad G shocks on AOL <laughs> shopping. And, and sell them to school and shit. What's, remind me what phishing is. I can't remember how that works. Like, how do you get a card number from phishing? It's phishing with a PH. And uh, <laughs> you, when people, I did it mostly on AOL. And what you would do on AOL is like, you'd use a program that would send a whole bunch of IMs out like really fast that are all saying like, something's wrong with your account. Uh, we just need your full name, address, and card number so oh. we can fix it. And people were so dumb back then. They were just like, okay, here it is. And then you just steal from them. <laughs> <laughs> Any regrets about that? Nah, I imagine most of those people got the money back. But there was a funny, uh, I used to have, you know, everything was still a lot more analog then. So I had like a pen and paper where I was writing down these numbers as they came in. Oh, wow. And I, I remember my brother, because, you know, I didn't have, like, an iPhone I could type them into real quick or whatever. And my brother drew, like, a little picture in one of the margins while I was writing all this shit down of, like, an old man sitting at a computer, like, and he, you know, like, typing really pathetically and looking really pathetic. And he was like, that's whose credit card he's stealing. And I felt bad. But, <laughs> he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah, but he got that shit back. It's funny because it happened to my dad. He Somebody fished him for his password and gave it to them. And they, like, took his AOL account. And I was like, damn, that's me. It's fucked up. But, but. You mentioned uh, low life too. And I, I know what that is, and I'm really interested in it. But for our listeners who don't, can you kind of break down low life? Yeah, low life um, was and still is a, a crew that started in Brooklyn, like Crown Heights mostly. Um it was, it was, I guess, two crews, um, St. John's Posse and Marcus Garvey Village that uh, came together to form Low Lives. Some of them were like Decepticons, which is another big crew. And uh, basically, we stole clothes, mostly from, I mean, polo. That's what the low is. And we stole it mostly from stores. Sometimes you rob people for shit. Um, and, you know, the, the specialty of the gang was the rush, which is like you get a lot, as many people as you can together and just kind of do a brute force, like department store heist. Like you, everyone runs in and grabs as much as they can. And you figure like collateral damage, like a couple kids get caught, but they'll get, you know, slap on the wrist back then. And then you divvy up whatever you got and everybody has a lot of clothes. A lot of polo. <laughs> Yeah. Are you are you still a polo person? I mean, I still have a lot of that shit from, you know, over the years, but I don't wear it as much anymore because they started reissuing it. And now you have all these like 
40 to 50 year old men who are wearing this crazy colorful weird shit it just doesn't look right they look like little kids and they live with their mom or whatever and i <laughs> i just i mean i don't know i don't want to like talk down it's just like this the the this whole culture like developed around low lives that is not necessarily what low lives were to me and i don't really i don't want to be that close to it anymore i guess Right. I mean, to you, I'm guessing it was more of like an outlaw um, vibe, like, um, you know, not so much loving commuter, not so much loving consumer culture as like fucking with it. Right. And now it's like, you know, kids, kids paying like $2,000 for an old t-shirt on eBay. Yeah, right. You know, that that's cool. It's, It's cool that like people are that interested in like reliving a thing that happened and Ralph Lauren cashed in on it and, you know, started re-releasing everything. And I guess good for him, too. But I don't know. I don't care about that shit so much anymore. The only old polo thing I'm always looking for is that, like, brief period where they had, like, um, like Native Americans on their shit. Yeah, I have tons of that stuff. Those were, <laughs> those were kind of good. I don't know how I feel about the appropriation angle right now, but I like right. the way they looked a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, there's been a lot of people talking about how, like, we used to wear that shit all the time and we should be throwing it in the garbage now, but I like that shit. It's yeah. cool. I want to go to your parents for a little bit more. Um, I was watching the video for your song, House of Bricks. Uh-huh. And there's one part where you're in front of a bookshelf and I paused it and zoomed in on that. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it made me realize that your dad is even more of a kindred spirit than I thought he was because it was the, you were right in front of the part of the shelf that's all like uh, crime novels, like Elmore Leonard and Chester Himes and like pulpy, yeah. crimey stuff. Did you ever pick some of that stuff up from your dad? Yeah, here and there. He loves that shit. And, and he still, he reads a lot of horrible books and because he'll just read everything. He has a friend who like, has worked at a bookstore for a long time and sends him all the previews stuff. And he'll just read anything. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't really, I mean, I read like, yeah, it's hard for me to remember. Like one that stands out, I guess, is like Motherless Brooklyn, but that's only because the author is my friend's brother. So like, Mm. Is that Jonathan Lethem? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, his brother is Keo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Blake Lethem. Yeah, I don't know. I like that stuff. I, I can't say I ever... Oh, there's also the, the pension one that, that they made the movie out of. Uh, Inherent Vice. Yeah, that was cool. I like that, too. And I, that's the only pension I like, too. Oh, really? I, I really like um, Gravity's Rainbow. I know it's like... It's one of those things. It's like infinite jest or, you know, yeah. it's it's like a, this is how big my reading dick is or whatever. <laughs> exactly. But, but I, I read Gravity's Rainbow a whole bunch of times because I just, it's like punishing the same way the infinite jest is. And I, I always thought I wasn't getting it and I wanted to really get it. I can't say that I, that I get it now, but there's well, some good you- in there. If you didn't get it, like, what'd you get out of it? Like, what did, what do you remember about it or what, what did it give you? 
I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of it was just the idea that I would eventually like conquer it and I would I would be a master of that book. And I never got there. So I'm not sure what I got out of it. There, you know, there's things in it that I that I remember that I think are cool, but I don't know. I don't know about I don't know about reading books like that. I I I attempted Infinite Chess for the first time kind of over the last year and mm. I didn't get all the way through it. Cause it's just it's fucking annoying. All the footnotes <laughs> and all the like extra descriptions of shit. Like and then there's really good shit in it, but it's like, man, why did you fucking why'd you do this? I get that. What I did was make sure to you know, notate where the bits that I actually liked were, like the little stories that kind of stand alone that aren't so show-offy. So I can just open my copy of it and just read that again, you know? Yeah, that's that. yeah. Like, I could think of two or three that I really liked. Like the yeah. the girl who's in the mental institution who's addicted to weed or whatever. She's cool. And then the other guy who's addicted to weed that they kind of tie in with that. And then the best, I think, the best was the the transsexual who who lives in a bathroom stall. Cause, I forget that. Yeah, the, the, well, there's like one chapter where they're living in a bathroom stall because they're withdrawing from dope and uh, they're just constantly shitting and puking. Yeah, and um, so they hung up like posters and shit in the bathroom stall, like like decorated it like a house because the idea was that they just never get off the toilet ever uh, right. and um there's like this kind of poetic moment in there where they're like um i was just constantly shitting and puking and i couldn't i couldn't figure out what i was shitting and puking because i hadn't eaten in days and then i realized that it was time i was shitting and puking time and i was an hourglass and i thought that was cool <laughs> i like that it is yeah it's yeah. a pretty good capturing of the feeling of like detoxing, I think, too. Yeah. So I, I can't, I've never kicked anything that crazy. So I couldn't say, but it seemed like it. Yeah. It sounds about right from my memory of it. <laughs> I do like that David Foster Wallace was writing from experience, too. You know, he'd been an addict. He didn't, he was in recovery. He lived in a halfway house. He went to meetings, right. so all that shit. Yeah. I liked a lot of that stuff, too. Like all those storylines that were like meetings and, you know, halfway house stuff. There yeah. was like kind of, there was that one big halfway house down the hill from the college that he talked about all the time. Yeah, at Ennis House, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean I think people who read that book, they're all there's like a it's like a Rolling Stones or Beatles kind of thing between do you like the tennis academy or the halfway house stuff? Right. And for me it's the halfway house all the way. Definitely the halfway. A lot of the tennis academy stuff is just I mean, apart from like his dad putting his head in the microwave and blowing it up. That's Oh it. yeah, that was great. <laughs> And I love that he, you know, he doubles back to say, like, you might be wondering how he did it because you can't turn it on with the door open. But mm-hmm. he smashed a hole in the door and shoved his head through it, which is sick. And then that one part, that's another really good part when I forgot who it was who who walked into the room after he had killed him. One of his sons, I guess, and was describing how all he remembers is how good it smelled. Like, oh, oh wow. Like someone was cooking something really good. <laughs> That's amazing. You've got a good memory for this. I guess you just read it last year or two. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of still reading it in a manner of speaking. But. Yeah. 
That's something I like about that novel structurally that you kind of mentioned is I like how he'll mention something as if you already know what it is. And yeah. then hundreds of pages later, he'll he'll fill it in, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But it's also yeah. part of like the torture of reading, I think. You got to have a lot of patience, man. Yeah, I don't. No, nah, maybe I do. <laughs> I have less. I have less as I get older, for sure. Right. Um, well, we talked about your dad a lot. What about your mom? What kind of reader is she? My mom, this sounds mean, but I don't know if I've ever seen my mom reading a book. Um, she had a lot of magazines. She read a lot of magazines and like watch TV a lot. And, you know, this, this sounds like me calling my mom dumb. My mom is not dumb at all. My yeah. mom's really smart. But my mom, I think, is, um, I, you know, my dad is like more the like the book intelligence guy in the house and maybe my mom was like the street smart one because my mom she she grew up in poland and then you know it was right after the war and then she moved to crown heights when she was like a teenager and she she's told me a lot of stories about growing up over there and how fucked up it was that like at the time and how you know people kind of hated her for being foreign and shit like that so yeah, she had she kind of had it rough growing up, and I don't know. My mom, she she chain smokes joints. She has for my whole life. That's kind of what she does, and uh, she was ever since my brother was born. She hasn't worked, and she was just like she was my mom. Like I, I think a lot of um my personality and and maybe even kind of the like rough and tumble stuff I got into comes from her. But the reading, yeah, I don't know. She didn't, she didn't really read at all. She sounds like a kindred spirit, too. I mean, it's funny. Also, that's the second time the word kindred has come up, and that oh. was Philip K. Dick's middle name. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's not, let's <laughs> not miss that yeah. synchronicity. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of have a theory. when With people who smoke that much weed, it's kind of like everything you do is reading because you're just interacting with everything on a different level of, like, analysis and significance and things like that right yeah i could see that i mean i used to smoke a lot of weed i don't really smoke weed anymore because as i got older it started making me freak out um weed also got a lot more strong as we grew too as we got older it sure did and i'm into you know i love weed i think it's really cool and i feel like i know a lot about it but i don't really i don't want to touch it most of the time anymore yeah, it makes me feel dumb sometimes. Yeah, I already feel pretty dumb. Uh-huh. Well, again, the older I get, the dumber I feel. Yeah. We it's supposed to be the other way around, too. Yeah, they say that, but I don't I don't see it. Like, I don't feel it myself, and I don't really see it in old people. I know you're supposed to look at old people as, like, wise and having been through all this shit, but I think generally you just you, you just get dull and you die. That's what happens. Sounds about right. Yeah. It's a positive outlook. Yeah, that's, that's me. So after, after Philip K. Dick was big for you, do you remember the next author or authors that you kind of moved on to from him? I think... Um... I, I definitely had this like snobby attitude that like he was the best and I didn't care that much about 
anything else. And that lasted through college or at least into college. Um, but the next like kind of life-changing book that I read and then and then I really stuck with this author as long as I could. He doesn't have as many books as Bill K. Dick had, but was this guy Russell Hoban? He wrote this book called Kleinzeit that I, I think is probably my favorite book. Um, I've, I've never heard of this, the author or the book. Yeah, most people haven't. The, the reason I had heard of him was my father used to, we were going back to that guy, he he used to read us, me and my brother, this book called The Flight of Bembo Rudzuk when we were kids. And it was a kid's book, like with pictures and stuff. And we loved that book. And I think one day, like, you know, when Google was around, I thought of that book and Googled it. And then I looked up the author to see what else he had written. And Kleinzeit was the first thing that came up, even though it ended up, it's not his most popular book. Um, and it's this, I don't know, it's this weird, fucked up book about this guy who works in a, in like an ad firm in the future. And uh, everything is personified in it. Like the, the subway talks to him and makes fun of him and stuff. Death usually sleeps under his bed and like tickles his feet and shit and teases <laughs> him. And like, you know, the mirror talks to him when he wakes up. The hospital is a big character in the book, the hospital talks a lot <laughs> uh i don't know I, I, I just really liked that book and then i found out he wrote this book called uh it's called ridley walker but it's called like something ridley walker oh i know that yeah 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 Go that's on. like yeah that's his, his famous book and uh you know it has like an invented language in it it's pretty interesting it's a cool book but i don't know so yeah i read that I read Klein's I read this other book of his called Pilgrim Man. But yeah, I think that was like the next stage. I think I kind of just picked these authors that I wanted to be really loyal to and I stuck with them. Obviously, you know, there's plenty of other shit mixed in when I was in college. I I, I was like, I thought I was a pension fanatic for a second and I read all that shit. But yeah, Hoban is like, I still reread those books. I, I really like them. How's that last name spelled? H uh, O B A N. Right, right, right. Yeah, Ridley Walker. I always I've meant to read that forever because I love the idea of an invented language. It takes place yeah. like far, far in the future, right? Is that right? Yeah. So, what's his? Is it all sci-fi that he does? I guess. I, I guess you'd call it that. I mean, Kleinzeit, I guess, is pretty sci-fi. Pilgrimman was like. I don't know, like a historical fiction, I guess. Like it starts out talking about kind of the persecution of Jews, like like before Christ, sort of. And it's this guy, he's just like a regular guy who's a Jew, and he has a crush on some rich, um, rich dude's wife, and he keeps going by his house to look in the window and try to see her naked. This is like the very beginning of the book. And then eventually he starts climbing up on this ladder and like talking to her. And then the, the guy like leaves town and he gets up on the ladder and fucks the guy's wife. Like through and the then, window? No, I think he goes in and they have a oh. little dance. I can't say I remember it that clearly, but. Okay. I, I was guess just wondering like, about like the logistics of that. Yeah. 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 It'd be cool if it was on the ladder through the window. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I think like a few days later, the guy comes back in and he finds out and they get like a pig to chew the guy's dick off. And then <laughs> and then it gets it. I don't know. It's cool. He, he's he's walking through the forest after that. He's kind of he's like the wandering Jew after that. Oh, yeah. And then and then he meets Jesus like in the woods and Jesus is dead already. But he's following him around. and He's like, yeah, everything's fucked up. And I'm Jesus and whatever. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's a good book. I don't know what you call that, but it's uh, I don't know. I'm sold, though. I'm definitely going to check this out. It's really gory, too. It just keeps getting gorier. Wow. Where'd you go to school? I went to SUNY Purchase. Oh, okay. I, I, I would guess that for somebody who was such a bad kid, college would have been like a no-go for you. Well, my thing, I I did really well in school for the beginning of my life, and uh then, like, in junior high, eighth grade, I didn't go to school for the whole year. I think I, I like, went to homeroom one time or some shit. And uh, my average was a 40 because that was the lowest they were allowed to get. And, um, but I came in to take all the standardized tests, and, like, I aced all of them. And then I guess they, they brought us in for a meeting, like, my parents were guidance counselors, and they were, like, we're going to advance you to ninth grade because we kind of have to, like, I think like the city would sort of mandate that because you passed all the tests and the point right. of the test right. is to assess, like if you learned enough to go to the next grade. Um, but then in ninth grade, I was in like remedial and modified classes. So I was just like in the dumb kid classes. Uh-huh. And that, that's when like, I really was like, I'm just never going to go to school again because what the fuck is the point of this shit? They're like teaching me how to spell. <laughs> um, and that was it. Like <laughs> then I, I did the same thing for ninth grade. I, I took all the tests and I passed. And then uh, I did 10th grade in Forest Hills High School. I didn't really go at all. And that, you know, I got into like selling drugs and whatever. And then I had a great time. But I mean, the in the end, I went to City Eyes. You don't get a Regents diploma from there, so you get like a sort of fake diploma. I got that, and then my dad, he surprised me with the SATs. That we had a kind of tense relationship back then, because he was just like, "Okay, you're a fuck up," and like that's that's what you have decided to be, and my brother kind of did too. Um, so. He just woke me up at like 7 a.m. one morning and he was like, you're going to take the SATs at your old high school or you can't live here anymore. So I went and did it and I did really well. And then I got all these like, well, what happened with Purchase is funny. We we were driving to my dad's friend's house when I was pretty young and we passed by Purchase on the way. And he was like, that's SUNY Purchase. It's a pretty good school. And I guess I remembered that. And all those years later, when it was time to apply to college, I only applied to purchase. And I got and it. They sent like a thing that was like, you have to write an essay and whatever. And then the next day, before I had even thought about writing that essay, they sent an acceptance letter. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go there. Might as well. Yeah. So I did. And I dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you last? I was almost done. Um, oh, I was shit. there three years or three and change. And uh, 
but it was all about hanging out. I did pretty well in, in college too, but I was like, all my friends started graduating and I had made a lot of money there too. Cause I was putting on shows and like stealing money and stuff. Uh, and then, um, yeah, once everyone started graduating, I think I had like four credits left and I had to do like a thesis and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to leave. And it definitely hasn't made any different. If I had that degree, I wouldn't, I've never really haven't worked a regular job since I was like a teenager. Yeah. I mean, I've worked regular jobs, but nothing that has anything to do with my degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I learned stuff there, but most of what I learned was, I think the most valuable classes I took there were like an experimental sound class where I was like, oh, I could build a theremin and like That's whatever. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and like a video art class that was cool, and then I learned I learned Pro Tools there, which like was no, not even that valuable because I don't like to engineer much. <laughs> <laughs> was that you? You were majoring in music. I started out as a computer science major because um, that was my thing when I was young. I was in the Times for building a computer when I was at City at School. I, I built a computer out of like garbage and uh yeah and that that's what i thought i was gonna do i was like i learned all these programming languages this is the future this is how people get like high paying jobs now and then i think after like maybe a semester or two of computer science i was like i want to i don't want to like take all these math courses and all this bullshit so i changed uh I changed to studio composition, and then I I got kind of bored with that. Changed to new media, and then I dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> Were you already rapping at that point? Yeah, I, I went in rapping. Uh, <laughs> I think I I started rapping like kind of seriously when I was around twelve, and then like by the time I got to college, I think I had already. I had my first like official single out already. Mm. So that had something to do with probably with how you could get acts to come and play the school too. Yeah. I knew a lot of people. I was pretty good at calling like who was going to be big or like we had an animal collective play for like 200 bucks or something. And you know, shit, shit like that. I don't know. There, a lot of rap stuff that I was early on. Yeah. MF Doom and Ghostface met each other at one of my shows because the goal was kind of to bring them together oh cool they work together right yeah they, they they like allegedly made a whole album but it never came out so let's talk about rap is that okay can we talk about rap yeah More? I love rap yeah <laughs> What are your earliest memories of hearing it? Oh, damn. Hearing it. I mean, honestly, it might have been like young black teenagers or something. Like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that song, uh, Tap the Bottle and Twist the Cap. Was like, uh-huh. That was the shit when I was in, who knows, like second grade or third grade. I don't know how old I was. But yeah, I, it was like that maybe, which is, you know, in retrospect, maybe not the best song. Uh, it's cool if you're in I, second grade. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was probably a little old. Who knows? But I liked Cool G Rap a lot. I liked people who were 
who are from, you know, Kuji rappers from Corona, which is basically where I'm from. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I, I when I was young, I was very loyal to Queens. Like, I, I listened to Mob Deep, you know, more than anything. Uh, G-Rap. Prodigy was from, like, Left Rack, too, wasn't he? He lived there for a while, yeah. Okay. Um, he was from uh, Hempstead. Or, no, he was, I think he was from Left Rack first, then he moved to Hempstead. Um, which is Hempstead is fucked up. I don't know much. Of, I don't know anything about Hempstead. Like a shitty ass place to live on Long Island. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, that was like, yeah, I listened to like Royal Flush, Mike Geronimo, Mob Deep, Lost Boys, like anything from Queens. Um, and the the main deviation from that was Grave Diggers. I love Grave Diggers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me, but what, like, what read as grave diggers? Honestly, I think like getting into dust really young because that shit six yeah. week week was just like a dust album, and so was yeah. Cal that met them in album. And I was, I don't know, I just, it, I, I felt the way that that shit sounded most of the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I really liked it. Um, but yeah, like my, the first time I ever rapped we took uh me and my friends cut school we went to my friend jason's house and um we like into the built-in mic on a radio we all recorded our versions of like of this royal flush song just like us saying over the instrumental us rapping like the, this royal flush song called worldwide um and everyone was like, yeah, you, you kind of did that the best. So you should be a rapper. Like, you should be the one of us who's a rapper. I was like, all right. And that was it. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. I'll do whatever anyone else tells me to do. I, I love Cool G Rap, and I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. I met him a few times. I don't think he would remember who I am. But, yeah, I, I met him. And Well, what's he like? Oh, uh, he was, you know, just kind of like a regular, pretty quiet, older dude when I met him. So yeah, I don't, you know, but it was it was cool. It was like a big deal for me. And then there's other, you know, I I really liked like Mike Geronimo and Royal Flush because they were like local Queens rappers when I was younger, and now they're they're just around. They hang out in my neighborhood. I I know them like. They hang out with my brother all the time. Still, it's it's weird. Who was the first rapper that you remember? really loving like especially for their words prodigy Pete. yeah i mean i i wanted to be him like for my whole whatever the whole like first probably 10 years that i was trying to rap i just i sat like i kind of had my voice like him and i i don't know i just wanted to rap like him and it's not which is not to say out of all the rappers i've been a fan of he might not be like the most poetic or you know but he kind of you know sometimes he is i just thought i thought he was like such a great writer and uh, of course like in the late 90s early 2000s i started getting more into like deaf jokes and shit like that and uh yeah. that was that was like a whole a new level for my like feeling of uh superiority of feeling like oh i i know I know what the good rap is. Like you guys suck. You, you like you guys are listening to fucking, you know, Puff Daddy and like 
whatever. You listen to all that new, like, down south shit, and I was like, I don't fuck with that. I listen to smart rap. Smart and, rap. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started, I remember I started trying to be a smart rapper, and I, I put, song, you know, a couple singles out on Death Jokes, and they were yeah. kind of smart, smart rap. And uh, looking back, I'm like, oh, I was a fucking idiot. Like, I, <laughs> I thought that, like, saying big words in a rap song or, like, fitting as many syllables as you can into a bar and just yeah. sound like a nerd is cool. And like, you know, not to shit on what, you know, what everyone was doing back then. Cause I loved it. And it like opened me up to a lot of shit that I probably wouldn't have paid attention to. And I brought that, brought that to my neighborhood and like put people on a few people were receptive, but a lot of people were like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. Fuck? But I mean, when you tried that, yeah, it's not like there aren't people who are great that do that, but you just weren't being you, right? Yeah, I don't. I think that was mostly it. Like, you know, very young, when I tried to do smart rap, it kind of came out more like when Prodigy does smart rap. And that would be like me being like, I know about the Illuminati, like here's, here's some shit. <laughs> like, well, you know about this guy and like this thing. And yeah, yeah. I like honestly like that better than being like, you know, trying attempting these like giant metaphors that don't make sense and like big yeah. words that don't belong in rap music. <laughs> my person my personal issue with that kind of rap, which you already kind of mentioned, is that like many, many syllables in a line really yeah. fast. It's just it makes me a little anxious. Like I like things that are a little bit, I don't know. I guess you maybe dumb rap. Maybe I like dumb rap. I think I, I think I love dumb rap. And like, I think dumb rap is if, you know, if we are to call it dumb rap, it's, it's so much smarter than smart rap. Like smart, smart rap is just smart rap's not smart. It's always like some dumb guy acting like he's smart. And like, it's just inauthentic and annoying. But I, you know, I definitely was into that shit, and I, I, I definitely had my few years where I was like, "You guys are stupid, and I'm smart, and I listen to this cool shit, and I make this cool shit, and you don't get it." And years from now, you guys are gonna get it. But it turned out, years from then, I got it, <laughs> and I didn't like that shit anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of so-called smart rappers who kind of got. So became so-called dumb rappers as time went on, and they're a lot better now. Yeah, you have to. I, I'm a dumb rapper. Yeah, in the best <laughs> possible way. Yeah. So were you were you going to like like New York and Poets Cafe and like Words and all that and and clubs yeah. nights like that? I was at all that shit. Let's let's define a couple things. Okay. Uh, first of all, the difference between like Def Jux and the kind of rap like you know the mainstream rap of the time. Can you? gives uh just a basic person the 101 on that difference yeah i mean in the 90s i guess people started talking about like mainstream versus underground way more and like that i don't feel like that was really a thing anybody was talking about when i was a lot younger like i mean when i was like 10 Mm -hmm. uh but then you know, people start saying mainstream rap is what is being played on the radio, like what you hear on Hot 97, and it's for dumb people, and it's dumb. And then, <laughs> and then you had like underground rap, which in New York at least, like Company Flow was probably like, you know, they were like at the forefront of that. They kind of introduced it in New York. And it was like, okay, this is some shit that sounds totally different that you're not going to hear on the radio that is like more exclusive and more esoteric 
and you know a certain type of person likes that better and by virtue of that thinks that you know i don't know what the fuck was on the radio then like nelly or uh yeah it was the worst era of popular rap ever it was like all puff daddy productions it was mace who like is yeah. the, the worst he drove me away from the radio <laughs> rap personally mace was the one where i had to step away but it's funny though because even hearing some of that shit that you know is probably objectively horrible music i go back to it and there's uh, obviously there's that nostalgia attached to it and you know i i could love a mace song now i don't know if i could have done it back then but you're yeah you're a better man than i i mean i can try <laughs> maybe but i don't know if i can do it i think i can i don't <laughs> I, I can't say that i've I t- ever turned on a mace song in my adult life on purpose but i've turned them off yeah that's true but i don't know <laughs> i mean I, I like the openness for sure you know yeah so people like company flow and then there was the scene around the club uh new york and poets cafe yeah there was new york and poets cafe there was wetlands there was tramps uh and yeah, those are all spots where they would have battles and like I'd go to all those battles and make friends with all those kids. And that's kind of the era that I'm talking about where like I'd get on the train and go to the city by myself and my friends would be like, you're on that other shit. And, you know, and even like North Six, which is where I played, I think one of my first rap shows. My first show I played was at Tramps though in 99. Nice. North Six in uh, Williamsburg. Yeah, which is now Williamsburg Music Hall. Okay. Um, or the Music Hall of Williamsburg, whatever they call it. Uh, but yeah, that that was a scene, and like you see all the same kids, and I I made friends with those kids, and and gradually through that, I made friends with LP, and he gave me this like little record deal with Jeff Jooks, and we we've been friends since I guess the late nineties, and we still are, and he's like an insanely successful, you know, kind of almost mainstream rapper now, which is shocking and cool. Yeah. I mean, it says something good about the world that he, he can be, you know, that close to mainstream now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you were you a battle rapper? Kind of. Like, I would get... I never really entered the bragging rights. was like the big battle um, that would happen at New York. And I think they probably did some at Wetlands, too. I don't remember. Um I would never enter them. I'd like maybe battle somebody outside before or after. Mm. I got down with this crew called Level X. <laughs> <laughs> that was like me and this kid, Many Styles, and these kids, Logic and Reason. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Wait, let's <laughs> tell people who don't know what Logic and Reason, what that's a reference to. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, it's I, the software, right? It's the It's the music making software, Logic and Reason. Yeah, but I don't even know if they were referring to that so much as they were just referring to actual logic and reason. (laughs) (laughs) But you might be right. Maybe both. Maybe they're that deep. It's both. Because I feel like nobody was really using... I I guess I kind of like fucked with reason a little back then. I use logic now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that, that sounds that sounds pretty backpacky. That little that crew. Oh yeah, it was like super nerdy, and there's actually. On YouTube, there's still this video that someone kid shot on a camcorder that's like me, many styles, this kid Low Deck who was from uh, like Brighton, uh, and I don't, oh, and this kid Test One. Uh, it's just us in uh, Washington Square Park freestyling, and it's it's really nerdy. I'm actually like 
rapping about computers. Like, I think I'm rapping about like artificial intelligence. You, you are, you are, because I watched it like yesterday. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see what I could find. I was like, let's see if there's some info with you like talking about books or whatever. So I watched a bunch of videos and yeah, that's the one. I mean, one thing I can say for sure is you're, you're the standout by a mile, you know, nice. in those, with those dudes. But yeah, there's definitely AI talk in there. It's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> when people are like supposedly freestyle battling, how much of that is really off the top of their head and how much is like pre-written stuff they've kind of memorized? I think it definitely varies person to person. I think there are like a handful of people who just do it completely off top. But I think most people come in with a few prepared lines. And, and it's funny because I've had this conversation a few times with people like what battle rap has evolved into is some weird shit that I just don't even really understand. It battle rap is a huge culture now, like on YouTube and whatever. And it's, it's just something very different. Like, uh, it's, it's all pre-written and it's like, you know who your opponents are ahead of time so you can prepare and mm-hmm. there's, there's no beat. There's never a beat. So it's just like a guy telling jokes. It's like, it's mad weird. So there's a big crowd around this guy and he's telling jokes about the other guy that he wrote a few nights ago. And, uh, and like, and there's a pause between everyone. So it's like, you're not even rapping. It's like, yo, my man, he got his hat on sideways. And then like he pauses and everyone goes like, Oh shit. And then he's like, and plus, you know, this other thing I thought of. Right. Like, yeah. But people love it. It's, it's like, it's so much bigger than it was. Like, when we were into it, or when I was into it, uh, there was like I remember the Source Blaze battle was like the big, like here here it is, like it made it to mainstream. It's a big thing, and then it got pretty quiet and nobody cared. And but now it's yeah, there's this whole resurgence. There's all these people that everyone knows about that I don't really know about. But I think you nail it by saying it's closer to comedy than to rap at this point. Yeah, I think that's what it is, and it's it's like it's just so nerdy. I hate com- I hate comedians. I fucking hate stand up comedy. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Why do you hate comedians? Because I'm on I'm I'm on I'm on board with you on that one, but I want to hear it from you. I just think like they're just these people who ninety eight percent of the time are not funny at all, and it's it's a certain type of personality. It's like the same guy who wants to be the president wants to be a comedian. Mm. It's like. It's like you are feeling yourself that hard that you think you need to get up on stage and make jokes. Like you can't just <laughs> can't just hang out and make jokes. Like it's it's not really it's not that serious. And then like every time you hang out with a comedian and you want to be like regular people hanging out and making jokes, you can't because they love to just like they jump all over everything and they're like, yeah, here's here's the joke that I want to say about that thing. And it's like, my man, shut the fuck up and. Th- I don't know. They're just never that funny to me. There's a few funny comedians, I guess, but I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the comedians I've known, and it's a cliche, but they're all dark, competitive, like, fucked up, like, jealous people, kind of, like, yeah. good vibe. Yeah. But, I mean, wouldn't you say that rappers are feeling themselves and got to get up on stage and say something, too? Absolutely, but... <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, what's the yeah. difference? Well... I think the difference is like <laughs> you're not like you're not like you're not putting someone in a headlock and like making like like saying 
things that you think they need to respond positively to in, in complete silence. It's just not as like aggressively you have to like me as it is with comedy. Cause it's kind of like, I'm gonna put this loud music on it. Unless you're like one of those dickheads who's like, all right, like, you know, I just performed two songs for you. Now I'm gonna do this long acapella. Then you should have been a comedian. Cause you're like, you're a dick. But <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I just, rap seems like as, as like, it is a very egotistical thing and, and you have to have some kind of ego if you're going to get on stage in front of people and like think that it's important that they hear some like dumb shit that you wrote. But uh, I just think it's a different, it's, it, it's a different type of ego, which is not to say most uh, tons of rappers I met are assholes and like way too into themselves. I might be an asshole way too into himself, but but I could argue that I'm not a rapper because I barely do it. So <laughs> right. I, like, I get to save myself from a lot of the, you know, the bad shit that comes along with it by saying that, like, I released four songs or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the difference for me is that comedians, the worst ones, seem like people who are still trying to please their parents in a way, like performing yeah. for mommy and daddy. And rappers don't have that vibe for me. They might. <laughs> well, not the ones that I like. Not the ones that I like. Right, right. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. Fucking, I, I, we did a pilot for a Vice show a very long time ago, um, like a TV show, and they wanted us to do stuff that we were like not comfortable doing. It was for my, me, and my two co-hosts on my radio show, Chilling Island. So this was gonna be the Chilling Island TV show which we're now actually making and is, is, I hope, a lot better. But they they ha- they made me do stand-up at, um, at the Knitting Factory on the one in Brooklyn because I told them about how I hate comedians. And it was like some, I think, really popular open mic stand-up thing that people really go to, like some Hannibal Burris shit or something. And it was, you know, it's like that, those people who I hate, it was like the comedy community, I guess. And I got up in front of them and did stand up. And my stand up was like, I didn't prepare anything. I just, <laughs> I talked about like a dog that I saw throw up when I was on my way over there. And like, I talked about how I hate comedians and like why I hate comedians. And, and it was, how'd that go over? Like, not so well, but I, <laughs> I feel like, I think I did pretty good, but yeah, I guess whatever I said up there, I, I I don't really remember. It probably wasn't what people want to hear when they go to a comedy show. I think I was just kind of being a dick, but fuck that shit. Fuck comedians. No, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I feel like stand up, like most ninety nine percent of it is just outdated and not needed now. Yeah. Then sometimes things bubble up. Like I know I'm on the bandwagon here, but that little bit that Chappelle just put out, like that, that worked for me, you know. And that was good. Way. I watched that last night. But I mean, it was more that was like a lecture. He was just kind of like and like a it was he was motivational speaking kind of. Yeah. But funny. But still. it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. And it was like I, I I'm not a fan of motivational speaking either, but I think he did that pretty well. Okay. I have a theory about you as a rapper. Are you ready for this? I think so. Do you know who Joseph Mitchell was? No. Joseph Mitchell. I talked about him on the episode of the podcast I did with, with Sweeney, with Matt Sweeney. Okay. So Joseph Mitchell was a New Yorker writer who was like the best New Yorker writer. He wrote profiles of like people on the margins of New York society. He was just like 
the most New York, New Yorker writer there ever was. But then in 1964, he stopped writing and he never wrote again until his death. He was this great New Yorker observer and artist who just stopped putting stuff out. And yeah. that's you too, to me. <laughs> because you're also a great observer and artist around the, you know, New York life, but you're famous or infamous among rap fans for like this record that you've been meaning to put out for like over a decade, right? Yeah. I mean, I thank you for, uh, <laughs> for saying <laughs> that that you know I'm that, but I I I don't know because it, the way I see it, I never really started putting stuff out enough to stop. Like I, yeah, I don't know true. that I ever started or stopped. Um, I I think for me, I mean, I would like to be that guy and. <laughs> I hope that, like, at some, I do still want to put out an album, but it's there's so much pressure now. I that, and that's not that's not really what it is. I don't care. I but in the same way that like I signed to Def Jux when it was really cool to be on Def Jux, and then I stayed signed until it wasn't a label anymore. And like I, it's like I waited that out, and now I didn't put an album out, and now albums are like not even really a thing. So it's right. like you want me to put an album out when like albums don't matter anymore and maybe I will, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> so is the model for you more just like put out songs as they're done on, on the various services and just let them be out there on their own? Well, I still, I still like the idea that I might put an album out. So I don't know what the model is. Um, and you know, I don't know. I, I haven't really put anything out in five years or something. Uh, and I don't know what I want to do. I, I finish an album all the time. Like every year or so, I finish an album. And I have one that like I could put out. And I should probably. But I don't have a plan for it. I don't have an idea of what I would do, especially now. I, I don't know, like, I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> the main problem is I never liked the shit. Like, yeah. And the longer you wait after recording it, the less you'll probably like it, right? Right. And and I still feel like the music I listen to and like play on my radio show, the type of shit that I'm really a fan of now, I don't really think I could authentically make music that sounds like that, so I don't. And then it's like, I, well, I don't know how I feel about releasing an album of music that I wouldn't listen to. Who are a couple of rappers that most like average fans have not heard of yet that you think they should get onto? Oh, I got a lot of them. I think Benny Revival is like, I honestly think he's the most important artist of our time right now. Wow. Um, I love his Twitter feed. Yeah, it's amazing. He's the All best. The costumes. So tell people tell me about tell me about Benny Revival, because I don't really know his music that well. So Benny Revival's this guy from Jacksonville, Florida. Um he's been rapping for a really long time and he has about fifteen albums on SoundCloud. Uh and he dresses up in these costumes and dances to his music on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> um, but he's never released anything officially. Uh, he's pretty unknown. And what he has done for years is like, uh, 
he DMs people that he likes and he DMs these like cryptic messages and like pictures. He had a whole period of time where he would print out people's faces and shit on them and take a picture of him shitting on them and send Whoa. it to them. Yeah. People, and, like, people he hated or just anybody? I think it was people he liked. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> And and I guess people generally didn't respond to him. And uh, one, I got one of the DMs, and I did respond, and and we like, I don't know, we became friends. But but he's just this kind of very mysterious character. Most people don't know what he looks like. He he's kind of got this cult following now, and and I, his writing is incredible. He's written, um, he's he's writing a book on Instagram, um. Each chapter is an Instagram account, and each page is a post on the account. Uh, and it's really good. It's like an autobiography. I guess I gotta look at that. Yeah, I gotta check that out. What's his style like? Like his rapping or writing style? Like, it's kind of like, um, like kind of old school Southern shit, like Memphis shit, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also like singing stuff, but it's it's like pretty hard Southern rap. It's 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 really good. He's a, he's a good rapper good writer but i think a lot of people miss that because the first thing they see is the dancing and the costumes like i didn't even know the music he was dancing to was his music until i kind of paid more attention yeah i like that performance aspect that's really using like the mediums that are big now the way they should be used you know yeah anybody else you want to mention uh baby cody he's this like young rapper from houston he's just i don't know really good Nolan B. Rowland, this kid from Virginia, his shit is amazing. He's been kind of like a, a, also like a cult internet guy for a long time. Do you read poetry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot. Um, it's funny because my dad has always like quoted T.S. Eliot all the time. And my dad is, that's like a big thing he does. He he like randomly quotes shit and then I have to ask him what it is and then I feel like I have to read it. Right. So I lately I've read a lot a bunch of T. S. Eliot because of him and also Hart Crane, who I think Oh yeah. Is, yeah, he's pretty good. But like I honestly I don't think I knew who Hart Crane was a year ago. Uh, um, yeah. And then I like uh some of the beat poet stuff is cool. But yeah, I like that. I like Gregory Corso a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like that, like, I don't know, his shit is, I don't know, it's like, it's funny. He was kind of, he, yeah, funny, but also he was pretty wild and aggressive in his performance. Hart Crane's a good one, man. That's cool that your dad turned you on to him. He's like, yeah, not, I, really, I really like that. Yeah. yeah, he's not known well enough at all. Um, I was lucky because when I was in college, one of my professors, he's written a lot of bios of poets, and he wrote, he had just finished a bio of Hart Crane. When I started working with him, so I read that, and that's how I learned about him. But yeah, for people who don't know, the bridge is probably the most famous piece by him. And yeah, he's a young gay man. He, he committed suicide by jumping off a boat. It's just a really interesting story. Yeah, I don't even know that much about him as a person, but I do. I really like the poem. What about Elliot? Does he have any read like the Wasteland and yeah. Jay Alfred Prufrock, <laughs> like the big ones? Yeah, yeah that's how do you really feel about all those? I know. I love yeah. them. I mean, the yeah, the language is really cool. There's plenty of like doom and gloom in there, which is kind of that's what I'm into, I guess. In a manner of speaking, I have always kind of written poetry, but 
I think it's weird to my dad likes to look at it that way and talk about it that way. Your work, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel weird about that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, music is poetry, but yeah, I get it. That 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 like rap lyrics poetry thing kind of got a little bit cornied out by people using it too much or trying to make it happen too much or something. Yeah, it's like trying to elevate this thing because you feel like you need to elevate it. Like you feel like it's not. Same shit as, as using big words in rap. It's like you feel like it's not smart enough, so you got to dress it up in this way to like make make an excuse for being into it or making it. And I, I just don't feel like I need that. Have you ever turned your dad onto a book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, recently, Wittgenstein's Mistress. Oh, uh, David Markson. Yeah. That's a good one. Can you talk a little about that for those who don't know? So it's this book about the last person on earth, basically, and the person is a woman, and the woman, it's you know, you I think you never really figure out if if the woman is indeed the last person on earth, or if she's just crazy, mm-hmm. or if she's even a woman, and she she just kind of rambles. There's there's no chapters. It's just this long thing of her talking to herself it's kind of like i guess yeah it's like a diary of of a person who is alone in the world who's like living in museums and living wherever she wants and talking about her relationships with these sort of like famous historical figures and their relationships with each other it's just a crazy person rambling I like I like that idea of like you know not knowing whether she's in her own head or she really is like the omega woman or something. We're in the middle of COVID. We're in the middle of this moment where there's this huge uprising against the pigs and where, where's your head at right now? The COVID stuff is, is fucked up for me because my father has lung cancer and I've been helping him out. And obviously he's very high risk. He's older and it has just made like, made my life a, a lot more difficult. The COVID yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause of how much more careful I have to be and, you know, all right, that's one thing. And then the other thing is obviously, like, the widespread uh, dissension against the police. And I love that because I've always hated the police. And I love the the spreading of the idea that we don't need them and we could, you know, defund them and potentially get rid of them. Uh, that sounds great to me. Um, I like, you know... Not getting too detailed, but, you know, I know people who have been lucky enough to beat the shit out of cops, like, a bunch of times during this and go home, and that's Mm. really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I encourage, you know, I encourage any type of... uh, No, I don't want to... Okay. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I got you. Uh, I got you. Yeah, Yeah. but I think, you know, it's like there is obviously, like, there's a huge problem with racism in that institution and there always has been and it's cool that a lot of people who didn't care about it are at least caring about it a little bit now um and then the people who already cared about it are sort of ramping up their caring about it 
So it's cool. And that, that all this shit is happening at the same time is crazy. It's been pretty crazy to talk to my dad about it because he's like, you know, he's kind of staring down the barrel at death. And now he now it feels like the whole world is. And I don't know, I, I guess like when we've had a bunch of conversations about how like, you know, when your own personal world it feels like it's ending. Yeah. That coincides with everyone, everyone's world ending. It's kind of, oh, it's got to be a, a crazy feeling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what are some of the thoughts he's, he's expressed to you around that? Uh, well, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of it is me. I, I said to him that, like, I've always kind of felt like, if I had to die, it's not really fair that I have to die. <laughs> uh-huh. And everyone else gets to do whatever they're doing after I die. So it feels better to me if some huge catastrophic event happened and everyone died. And then it's like, all right, it, then I feel better about it. If we're all going to die, then it's cool. And what does he say to that? That like it's stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like he gets it but it's like very bleak and obviously like self-centered but i do feel that way have you ever read any anti-natalist philosophy like um this uh, uh romanian writer emil chirin c-i-o-r-a-n i think no nah, i think i've probably seen that name but no i can't say i have you maybe have yeah um it's antinatalist. It's like the idea is like being born is a curse. You know what I mean? And like having children is like an act of aggression towards the children because all you're giving them is the consciousness of their own death. That was one thing that, that my father said to me that, that stood out is when all this shit started happening and then we were talking about it, he, he apologized and it was a pretty sincere apology. And he was just like, I'm really sorry. Me and your mom thought that like, this was going to be good and you guys would have a good time, but <laughs> I guess not. And, you know, maybe we should have thought about it more. That's fuck. That's fucking heavy, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was half joking too, I think, but yeah. he's right. He was just like, you know, I'm sure they talked about it a lot before they did it. And they probably were like, you know, they were hippies. So they probably wanted to really think about what, what, kind of world they were bringing us into and maybe in 1980 and 1982 it seemed a little better <laughs> maybe uh, yeah i don't know i mean i was like seven and seven and eight but i don't remember it being too cool yeah that was that was the start of the era when everybody like when i was like 10 let's say my two main fears were aids and nuclear annihilation yeah it should be like bullies and and, and getting stung by a bee you know right. what i mean well, I I think I think I also was lucky to kind of to grow up the way I did. Like we had there was this guy Dennis who was like this this I I think gay black dude who used to come over and cut our hair and like hang out with us and shit. And he died of AIDS like when I was really young. So that was that was kind of me finding out like this guy who's my friend could die. And I was like, okay. And then that's sort of how I learned about AIDS and even like gay people. And I, you know, I'm grateful for shit like that, that like I, I 
I don't know, that I was able to think outside of myself a little bit when I was that young and think about like things that were happening in the world and like understanding them in a way that felt like close to me. But yeah, I don't know, like shit was definitely fucked up when I was younger and maybe but but it, it I liked it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, there was probably more crime. There was the city was dirtier, I guess. But like, of course, there's always. I, I, I talk about this a lot. How every generation is gonna like, you know, lament what what this city is now, and like, you know, reminisce about how great it used to be. But I think it's it's always great, and it kind of it's just great in different ways. And I like that, like you know, the threat of, of what's happening right now, like sinking the city back into some kind of like fucked up depression and crime thing. Sounds great to me. <laughs> I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe some form of that, you know, I think we're still, there's still a long ways to go with all this shit that's going on right now. We're not only maybe in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I was going to ask you, like, as a New Yorker, like how you feel about New York as it changes through the years. And I guess you kind of just answered that. And I agree, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I see and still participate in like a lot of the shit that like younger people are doing now. And it's very different from anything I was doing. But it's, I think it's still cool and like interesting. And it doesn't matter it sucks that there's like a Starbucks everywhere and a Walgreens and a CVS and whatever. But, but I, I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me as much as I feel like it bothers everyone else. Cause, cause you could still, you could still turn all that shit into whatever you want it to be. Like you could still go into that Rite Aid and steal everything. And like, it's not that much different than going into a bodega and stealing everything it's still i don't know <laughs> yeah in fact it's better way better yeah it's a lot man yeah <laughs> you mentioned earlier there are some books that you reread a lot of times what which ones are those um gravity's rainbow is one Klein's i i've read a few times um and then a lot of philip k dick books really like uh for my tears the policeman said is one that i read a few times uh Ubik was one I read a few times. Have you read Valis? Yeah, and that, that's one that I read a few times too. Valis is amazing. And that's a trilogy, so I've read all three of those. Like Maybe maybe haven't read all three multiple times, but I'm definitely, yeah, it goes Valis, The Divine Invasion, and The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. But Valis stands for Vast Active Living Intelligence System. And it's uh, <laughs> that sounds like some backpack rap shit right there. It really does. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that book. The premise is that God is a satellite, basically. Oh. The satellite is called Valis, and it communicates with the the main character, whose name is Horse Lover Fat, and uh, and that the Horse Lover Fat is clearly Phil K. Dick, and um. I think he that's mentioned in the biography that I'm reading now that the name Philip means someone who loves horses. Um, I don't know if that's true, but (laughs) maybe it is. Uh, But yeah, horse lover fat experiences of theophany, which is a word I had never heard of until I read that book. 
Is that like a God, an epiphany regarding God or something like that? It's when God speaks to you directly. Oh, okay. Um, and the theophany appears in the form of a pink beam that shoots into him and like tells him stuff. And uh, I think this was this was a real, you know, experience that he had. It, it basically it's like the Bible. It, it it's it's like when when God talks to a person in any other religion. Um, he kind of sets out these rules and things that for him to, you know, tell everybody. And that's where the exegesis came from. He wrote, mm -hmm. he basically compiled all the stuff that God told him and made a Bible. <laughs> cool. All right, I'm on to that next. Um, is there anything that like that came up or didn't come up that you, you want to get into? I think it bears mentioning that I sort of fell out of the habit of reading for a solid year or two. And, and it's interestingly enough, the, the book that got me back in the habit of reading was Loom of Ruin. It was, uh, it was recommended to me by my friend Evan, who was in the band Ratatat. Okay. And yeah, he just like, it's, it was like just such a short book and so easy to read. And it was like really funny. And yeah, it's really full of ideas, too, for those who don't know. Loom of Ruin is this book by uh, my friend Sam McFeeters, um, who has been on the podcast, too. It's a novel about the angriest man in the world. I edited it. Uh, I, I recommended Loom of Ruin to my dad. I forgot that. And he really liked it. So I don't know. I guess thanks to you and Sam for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass that on, man. Why weren't you reading for a couple of years? What made you stop? I think I just like, you know, this applies to, to a lot of things. It, I, I also think it's the best explanation for why I don't have a lot of music out. And, and it, it, it's as simple as I'm really lazy. I'm just really fucking lazy. And I know reading is a pretty lazy activity, so I should be able to do it. But even that requires effort. And I am the type of person who I will spend hours sitting in a chair like staring at the floor i don't it's not like i'm watching tv or whatever i just i like to just not do anything uh, so <laughs> i don't know like i yeah it was like i could either not do anything or i could pick up a book while i'm not doing anything but then it's like well now i'm not genuinely not doing anything okay that's a wrap if maybe if we all meditate on it really hard, um, maybe we can get Despot's album to come out soon and somewhat redeem the year 2020. But I doubt I doubt that's going to happen. In the meantime, you can easily find live performances, guest spots, some of his own tracks um, in the usual places that you search for such things. You can find show notes at apologymagazine.com, where you can also buy the magazine and some merch. As always, thank you for listening. Please, really, DM me with suggestions for guests. I'm always open to hear new ideas for that. My uh, handle on Instagram is apology underscore books. The music is Bach by Cyrus Garamani. Uh, I had help with post-production and general podcast life advice from Justin Geller and Lars Kreslins. And if you like what I'm doing here, um, reviewing, rating, and subscribing to the podcast are much appreciated and helpful things you can do. All right. See you again soon.